This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying in Sarasota, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 6, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Horsewear. Good morning, Horse World! Well, good morning, everybody. As usual, we are here with the driving episode, which is the first Thursday of every month for new listeners. Jamie and I are here Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, and then we have special monthly episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, and the first Thursday of the month is Dr. Wendy Ying, and she is my co-host for almost 10 years for the Driving Radio Show, doing a driving episode here once a month, and uh, Dr. Wendy is also a veterinarian and a traditional Chinese medicine uh, veterinarian as well, so she's a regular vet and a Chinese vet, too. (laughs) <laughs> and she's she's kind of Chinese, so it works out perfect. I'm a, I'm a regular vet and a Chinese vet, and I also do acupuncture and Chinese medicine. All of that stuff. And she yeah. also has her own store, and we're going to talk about a product. We always do a product feature from her store. But first, we're going to tell you what's coming up on today's show. And I'm going to let you tell them, so you have to say that name. All right. So on today's show, we have Ellen Taylor, the executive director of the Harness Horse Youth Foundation. <laughs> Good job. It's so hard to say <laughs> It's a tongue twister. It's not as easy as it looks. Uh, She's going to share some great opportunities for kids this summer. Plus, Garrett Canstead um, shares how he's leading the charge to renovate the marathon course at the Florida Horse Park. And our favorite from the CAA, Kathleen Hake, has some driving-related sweet treats. And Abby Trexler shares the latest news from the American Driving Society. So listen in. Let's talk about your product feature first. What have you got? Well, today we're going to be talking about seasonal allergies. So I wanted to talk about uh, golden yellow salve. It's a topical herbal product that's great for um, for inflammation of the skin, right? So in, in Chinese medicine, inflammation is heat, swelling, and pain, right? And that's what we say in in regular medicine too. So in Chinese medicine, what we do is we use cold herbs that reduce inflammation and soothe the skin. So golden yellow is called golden yellow. It's actually called, uh, it's made up of four herbs that are traditionally known as the big, the four yellows. Okay. And the four yellows in Chinese, the word huang is yellow. And so whenever you see that, it means the herb has a yellow color or sometimes it's because it has a yellow flower. So the four yellows are da huang, which is Chinese rhubarb root. Huang Bai, which is philodendron bark, which is also known as the cork tree bark. Uh, Jiang Huang, which is turmeric, so that translates as yellow ginger. And Huang Lian, which is coptis root, which is common name is golden thread. So these are very common um, common plants that we have. And as you can see, a lot of uh, a lot of times in Chinese medicine for inflammatory issues, we use the root bark, right? So 
I talked about this a little bit in some other segments with when we want to use things to get rid of heat, the taste of the herbs is usually very bitter. And that's because the bitter taste are those alkaloids like, I, I, like there's a ton of stuff about turmeric nowadays, right? And we know that the alkaloid in turmeric is berberine and that is, has anti-inflammatory effects. So it's the molecule that makes that taste bitter, the molecule of alkaloid. And all four of these have very similar blends of alkaloids, so they work together synergistically. And this, uh, these, this herbal formula is put together in a coconut and beeswax base. So it is um, pretty thick, but it's greasy, so it's easy to put on the skin. It doesn't have a lot of drag. And what, so what it does is it reduces the inflammation using the herbs, and then it soothes the skin with the coconut and the beeswax. It also helps with secondary bacterial infection because these roots are known to have antibiotic effects, antimicrobial effects. And then also it's great because it's bitter. So like say you use it on a dog that's chewing their hot spots all the time. Uh, the bitter taste, if the dog goes to lick it off, it's bitter. And so they tend to not want to eat that anymore. Like that bitter apple spray that you spray on so your horse doesn't chew off his bandages. And then also, since it's thick, it can um, be a nice barrier if you have a, a bug issue, like a gnat issue. So I kind of think of it as herbal swat. So you can put that on, and if your horse is, has sweet itch or something, and their skin is really inflamed and, like, it can't, you know, when their skin's inflamed, the bugs bite it even more, right? It's so delicious to them. So you can put this thick paste on, and it kind of makes a barrier for the, between the skin and the bugs. And where can they find uh, it? They can find it at drwendying.com. Drwendying.com. And it's actually on your website called uh, Golden Yellow. Is that how it's listed? Yeah, Golden Yellow. So you can just search in the search box for Golden Yellow, and that will come up. Well, we have Kathleen back with us from the Carriage Association of America. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Glenn. How are you doing today? Good. I think you've been joining us for years now in this segment. I know, time. it has. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. We really appreciate it. You know, the other day on the show, we talked about mufaladas. And today, we're talking about brownies. It's my kind of week. We are. And before we get into the brownies, though, we do need to talk about Newell Elementary in Grand Island, Nebraska. They are doing an Oregon Trail project, and they have taken shopping carts and made them into wagons, which <laughs> awesome. just is amazing. <laughs> and they have been on this multiple mile. They did three miles on Friday, uh, last Friday. Um, Are some of the kids pulling the wagons while others sit in them? Or how, how is that working? They need so they're goats. technically in families. <laughs> okay. And so some people are pulling them while others push, just the way you would back in the day. Okay. And so they, they have just been doing this amazing, amazing project. I happened to catch a video clip of the local news while they were at a um, trade stop, which is where they got their snacks, okay. which is how we're going to start talking about brownies <laughs> in a moment. But I, I do want to give them a shout out because that is just an amazing project and it took a lot of, lot of coordination and is such a great way to talk about wagons and about history in general that I thought that that was Really cool. That's cool. Now, now are they going to bring them up in the mountains and let them starve for days on end? 
Well, they talked about that, and actually, they had a couple of wagons break down along the way. Oh no! Uh, so they've Did already they got into their repairs. Did the wolves come yes. and uh, circle them, or no? no. But I, I think there were rubber snakes. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but uh, maybe they they didn't have brownies <laughs> at that time. I'm like, we gotta go roll this into the brownies. Their portion of brownies back then was hardtack. I think that was pretty much what <laughs> pretty they had. Much, yeah, I don't think they had too much of. Uh, I got a story about hardtack before we get into delicious brownies. Okay, so go for it. One of the things, obviously, hardtack is this really hard kind of bread stuff that they had during the Civil War, and it's pretty much all the soldiers ate for a while. Um, but what they used to do is they used to take, because it was so hard and disgusting, they used to take it and they did have coffee. So they used to soak it in the coffee and all the bugs would come out. And then they could pick the bugs out of the coffee before they ate the soggy coffee hardtack. Yuck. <laughs> well, well, that really was a uplifting. Yeah, well, I just thought I'd bring that up. You guys are always <laughs> grossing me out on this show. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, well, in, in much so what more else you want to talk about? News, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I have to ask, because we're talking about that, how do you feel about apricots and chocolate? Love it. Yeah. 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 So that's how they, they had the first brownies were, was one pound of chocolate, one pound of butter, Ooh. a lot of sugar some whole eggs and, and a little bit of flour. And that's how they made the first ones. And then they put an apricot glaze over top. Oh, yum. That was to make it healthy. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they created that, the Palmer House. And um, Mrs. Bertha Honor Palmer um, created that recipe in 1893 for the um, World's Columbian Exposition. Where, where was the place Palmer in Chicago? House. Okay, the exposition was in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Now, Wendy, you have an interesting connection to Mrs. Palmer. Oh yes, Mrs. Palmer was is a celebrity here in Sarasota because um, you know she she was from this family that owned the the hotel up in Chicago. But like many of the Chicago socialites, she came down to Sarasota and she started. Um, you know, uh, she bought up tons of land and was like a famous uh, cattle woman down here. And she, in, in fact, uh, invented this cattle dip because, you know, we have it's like a jungle down here in Florida and there are so many bugs. And it was really affecting the cattle and, and, and the cattle dip that she invented, which was like a it's kind of like the cattle walk into this pool and then walk back out like a, a horse swimming pool is uh, actually still here and you can see it in our park. Isn't the but, house where you live on part of what was her property? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a railroad um, that went through our neighborhood. It's the old railroad train and that, that railroad, they used to put the cattle on, take them up to Chicago to go to the, you know, stockyards. Yeah. Stockyards. Yeah. Yeah. It, she, exported a tremendous amount of cattle from Florida up to um, Chicago and other places uh, in the more northern areas. But she was was one sharp lady, and which is great because when they first opened their hotel there, it was only open for like less than two weeks, and it was destroyed by the Chicago fire. Oh, no. And so they rebuilt that, and then 
you know, her, her, um, she was a society woman and she got on the board, um, for the, um, Chicago, um, Columbian exposition, which was supposed to, to be, to celebrate the 400th year of Columbus's voyage to America, but they were off by a year because they got delayed. Um, but the other thing that it was supposed to do was highlight the rebuilding of Chicago. It had been 20, uh, quite a while since the fire, which had really destroyed Chicago. And this idea of having this worldwide exposition open on May 1st, 1893, and it was going to last six months into October was a fantastic thing. Just to give you an idea how big it is, it was 600 acres. Oh, my God. 600 acres, 200 buildings, 26 million visitors. Wow. And now consider, too, they were coming by train, by carriage, by horse. I mean, it was... Absolutely. They came from around the world because when these exhibitions happened, they were a big deal. I mean, it's like taking all of our state fairs and putting them in one spot. And uh, people came from overseas it was it was a big deal to be there. And so, of course, carriage people were there. There were um, a lot of carriages. They were both people from other countries which shipped carriages to the United States to be exhibited there. And then we also had American producers of carriages ex- on exhibit there as well. So during this time, Cincinnati, Ohio, is a really big carriage manufacturer. And so in 1892, they were, the carriage industry was was responsible for about $11 million worth of revenue, which is a lot. Um, And so they had 34 vehicles on display there. And um, to give you an idea, uh, they were exporting to Europe, South Africa, Australia, Mexico, Central and South America, British Indias, West Indies, and the Sandwich Islands, which I believe at that time would have been Hawaii. Um, And so this is a big deal. And that's a lot of money and a lot of countries to be exporting to. And so it was really important to put your best carriages front and center. And you also wanted to appear very... um, worldly and well-read and all these different things. So there is a booklet that was put out by the Cincinnati business uh, carriage industry builders called the world's carriage building center. And it is full of quotes like this one from Dickens uh, with David Copperfield, which is right on rough shot. If need be smooth shot, if, if that will do, but right on. And they, you know, they have these little, um, references back to different stories all the time. So they really wanted to appear worldly. They wanted to um, make sure that uh, people understood that they were up to the, to being able to handle all these people coming to see them. And they do mention in this book, which was given out, I'm not sure if it was given out to everyone, but it was given out to select people that were going to be at the exhibition. Uh, that they realized that not everybody was going to be able to come and visit their um, area, but they wanted to give them an idea of how they were building these vehicles and what all they were great for and, and et cetera. So 
they have these 34 vehicles on display. And a couple of them we're going to highlight right now because they're kind of cool. Um, they have the one-man speeder. And it's 135 pounds. Oh, my God. So, you know, it is tiny. And so, it's the body of it is 18 inches wide by 51. <laughs> I don't think I'd fit. I know. <laughs> like, it made this balsa is, like, smaller yeah. than an airport seat or <laughs> airplane seat. Um, was it meant to be pulled by a, a normal size horse or a pony? It was meant to be pulled by a normal size horse. This one was specially adapted for turf, and they were racing in them. <laughs> yeah, and how, you have to do it on turf because I'm sure tons of them broke while you're racing and you like get dragged on the ground. Well, you know, they did have a lot of they had a lot of speedways at, at that point in time, specially made for this type of racing. To be honest, I didn't really know that they did that much turf racing at that time. I'd always seen it on special ground that was more dirt. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite interesting to see that they had turf racing. Um, but 18 inches. I think yeah. <laughs> that's so small. By comparison, they were also making a piano box buggy, which the piano box buggy was one of the most common vehicles that you could get around that time. That weighed 300 pounds. So, you know, that's, you know, 135 pounds Did they make it out of a piano box? Speeder. Was it kind of in the shape of a piano? It was. Yeah. It's, it's actually just a box. The difference between most things are 51 inches. That's, that's pretty normal for that type of vehicle. This one is 24 and a half inches wide. So it's, it's bigger. You know, there's a chance that two of you might fit on the seat. Um. Not Probably two of not me. Modern people. <laughs> but, but you and your child might be able to yeah. get in them. Uh, and they were very, very common, but they were called a piano box buggy because they looked like a piano box. And I think in some cases they may have actually been using that because they did reuse things. So they were kind of um, like the Kias of the day small and mighty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love those, Glenn. I know, I do. I drive mine every day. I like my yeah. little Kia. 300 pounds in that low, between 300 and 350 is a very common weight for buggies and vehicles in that time. Um, but just like we build cars and, and maybe Kias for different things, you know, in different markets, you have to change depending on what market you're sending it to. Americans, we like our cup holders um, in <laughs> pan or excuse me in in some other markets they like um more leg room and be, particularly if you're going to have a passenger they want to make sure you have suspicion uh leg room and the same is true with these buggies they had a line of business buggies and the deal there was that it had a roomy seat although they don't specify how much leg room it does say that there was sufficient leg room and I would assume that that meant that you were less likely to crease your suit. <laughs> Did they have a cup holder? Please tell me they had a cup holder. No, no. Because <sighs> they didn't really have a lot of caught. Well, I don't think they had a lot of to go. I think they were drinking ale a lot back then. But <laughs> <laughs> now, did they have uh, specials? Like you went to the trade show, like going to the RV show and everything's marked down for trade show specials. Do you think they did that? Um, I don't think they did that much. Of that, they would sometimes have special deals, or but they would build special vehicles for these, and they took their top of the line vehicles there, um, and really 
they were going for the upper level. Um, but you would, if you were a dealer in buggies or vehicles of the type, then yes, you could probably make a deal there. And they were would spend um, years building up to this to make sure that they had enough inventory and stock to be able to handle the orders when they came in. Wow. Because as we've talked before, um, wood needs to be dried and and cured for before you make it use it to make carriages. So you have to plan ahead. So this is a really big deal for these companies. They had a lot of money tied up in it, and bad bad uh, exhibitions sometimes happen. There were cases where vehicles didn't make it to America or to when we were Americans sending things overseas to um, other ones, they didn't make it. Um, and that would just crush your, your whole business. Um, they did. I did want to talk about um, one or two other vehicles, really, if we have time. And that is the Ramona. They named these carriages. They had the Queen. They had the Ramona. Lots of other ones. But the Ramona is a three-spring loop phaeton. Three spring, spring loop phaeton. And if I have to say that three times fast, I'm just not going to make it. Um, but we tend to think of vehicles now as being darker and business-like. But this Ramona was had a blue body with lemon striping, lemon yellow striping, and oh, blue I love cloth. that. It had to be beautiful. It's sharp and beautiful. And um, 400 pounds. And, but I bet you it rode really smooth because it's a three-spring loop phaeton, and uh, <laughs> that would be that would be a really great ride. I, but yeah. I, I just think that that was more for society, and particularly being a phaeton, maybe a society, um, a woman in society. They also comment. There's two. They comment on a couple of things that are happening society-wise. One, the buckboard, which until this point was considered was defined by Webster's Dictionary as a rude four-wheeled vehicle consisting of a long board resting on the two wheel on two axle trees and carrying a seat or seats. And at this point, there's pushback against that definition and buckboards are becoming more refined and a little less for the wild. And they're um, becoming something that is acceptable for a family to have. And they're also seeing an increase in demand for two-wheeled vehicles, primarily from overseas, because as we've talked before, guess what's happening overseas? What? You remember? They no. changed their tax laws. And they're taxing and tolling on the number of axles. No way. That yeah. stinks. No wonder they wanted two wheels. Yeah, so they switched to two-wheel vehicles because that way you paid less. And um, it's true here a little bit, but we just never really got into toll roads the way that they did in, in various places in the UK and in Europe. Um, but uh, that's why you see the change uh, to from like a four-wheel uh, dog cart to a two-wheel dog cart is because of that, those type of... Uh, laws coming into effect on taxes. So. Yeah, you talk about the buckboard. Our, you know, Americans' view of a buckboard, the most they have seen of those is in Western movies carrying dead bodies after shootouts. That's Absolutely. where you see the buckboard <laughs> use, right? <laughs> that's what's, 
<laughs> Absolutely. Now I'm hoping that maybe next time, we're, because we're going to be going to California in June, the very beginning of June, to Thousand Oaks for our CAA Learning Weekend. Oh, cool. And we are going to be having the Carriage Showcase, which um, is kind of like a car show, but for carriages. Um, I'm hoping that maybe for next month we can find somebody that is um, has some Western vehicles that can join us. And uh, we can talk about them in particular because they are a unique animal in and of themselves. And uh, you need a chuck wagon. We need, we ask, we could chuck wagon. Um, they do contests with those, um, which I, I assume would be, you know, I think that somebody should be at this uh, Oregon Trail project at this elementary school in Grand Island <laughs> with a chuck wagon. I really I hope that somebody is able to do that. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be so authentic? Um, but I think that uh, we'll try to do that for next time because it, it really is a unique set of history and you, um, it's, it's really quite interesting. And I, I think we're, we're starting to see a, a reattachment to that type of American history, but I think we've lost touch with it a little bit. So it'll be exciting to see it come back. Well, Kathleen, we're looking forward to next month at caaonline.com is where you can find they have a complete bookstore there. They, have, Of course, they're housed at the Kentucky Horse Park, which is now open. So you can Yay. visit anytime you stop by. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you, Glenn and Wendy. Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug fly sheet. Find Amigo fly sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware. H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E dot com. Well, there's a topic and a foundation that we've talked about for years here on the show, and that's the Harness Horse Youth Foundation. And I've never been able to say it properly, but uh, <laughs> it's a group that's been around for a long time. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about on these shows for 10 years now is the fact that we need to get more young people involved in horse sports. And that's all across the board. Every association that we talk to, that's their mission. It's the area where they have the most difficulty now because kids want to play video games and not get out of their chairs. And, you know, getting people, kids out to do more horse stuff and getting them involved in associations and competitions and things like that has always been a problem. Well, we have Ellen Taylor here, who is from the Harness Horse Youth Foundation, and it, that's an organization that's designed to do just this. Hi, Ellen. Hello. Thank you for having me. So you get kids out to drive standard bred horses. And by the way, you guys have had a standing offer for Wendy and I forever around one of your clinics that we get to go drive standard breds. So I'm, I'm just, I want to go. Why don't, why haven't we done that? I yet? don't know. I'm just reminding you, Ellen, that that's a, that's something you guys offered. <laughs> We're going to take you up on it. Uh, uh, it's not even an offer. Someday it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> We're not We're youth doing... anymore, but uh, we can act like we're young. That's so. okay. That's right. <laughs> so you guys obviously were on hold here this past year, like everything else was. Are you back in business? We're on the road again. Yay. So tell us what's yeah. going on. What's happening? We are, 
kind of redesigned a little bit because we needed a reboot anyway. Uh, COVID, really, we made a lot of lemonade in 2020, but we we're trying to learn from that. We have five camps in four states, maybe it's six camps in four states, uh, that we are traveling to with our trotting breads, and we're going to do one days because we can't have overnights now, but we're going to do one days to try to grab as many kids and, and parents as we can. Because it used to be like a camp where you went for a couple days, right? It was really a five-day, four-night event, right? and we're hoping to get back to that, but we're not there yet. So what are you going to be able to accomplish in one day with the kids? We can give a wonderful overview of the equipment, uh, some of the vernacular and the words that harness racing uses that are unique to us. But more importantly, right after lunch, and this is kind of a secret, but they get to we go. We won't tell anybody. Well, don't worry, Ellen. I'll no, talk right over you. Nobody right. will hear this part. That's the right. Secret. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but they, because we have our own horses and we really believe that getting in the jog cart is the key. We let everybody, uh, they may not hold the lines if they're not comfortable or they, if they're old enough and their feet reach the stirrups, they can hold the lines and actually drive on a racetrack. So do you and have like two seaters? Actually, with... Yes, we do. Okay. Yes. They're, they're two seaters. So it's like a professional driver, a real driver, and then the kids in there. Well, that's, that's how you get them interested. You know, talking about it, is okay. But until they get to do the action part, that's what makes, that's what sp sparks the light, right? That is, but they also have to know that you got to start cleaning stalls, you know, in a regular camp where they're, and I think that in one day they have to sort, sort of graduate to get to jog. I mean, if they're, they're going to listen to me be boring for all morning, then they get something exciting in the afternoon. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good <laughs> Because you have to do that with kids. You know, they need the action, especially now, I think. That's right. Yeah. But so, then they get to, after that, a lot of them, then they get to bathe the horses. And, you know, if anybody needs medicine or whatever, they get to do that part, too. So it's a very hands-on camp. Even on a one day, they get to do enough that they actually develop a relationship with a horse, which is the whole key. You know, Wendy, if she if we ever show up there one day, she can make us clean stalls. You realize that, right? You are going to make us clean stalls? I've had like, you years of cleaning stalls. I, I am so OCD. I have a chart on how to clean a stall properly, and it has to be, if you come to an extended camp, it has to be checked off every oh, day. Oh, I'm out. I'm a I horse husband. Good. I don't clean them properly. Yeah. <laughs> that's not I think that's good that you do that. <laughs> Jennifer always, she always goes in and cleans up right after I do the stalls. I know. She does it secretly, though. She, I'll go in and clean the stalls, and I think I've done this wonderful job, and then then I'll, I'll you know, I'll be walking back toward the house and I see her get a pitchfork and go back into the stalls very quietly. I hate to tell you, Wendy's my soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do the kids find out about these and what, you know, who do you get? Who comes to them? We get a variety. Um, not a scientific poll by any means, but about 10% come from never having touched a horse. About 20% come from racing families and about 70% come from Kids who have ridden, maybe not extensively, but they at least have some experience with horses. That, and that is very encouraging to me because it's actually people who don't know about harness racing and they're coming to learn more. And I think that's exciting. That is cool. Uh, and I how think it's great yeah. about harness racing, too, that like, you know, to be a jockey, right? We all just saw the Kentucky Derby. 
But to be a jockey, you have to be so small. You know, so a lot of teenagers are like bigger than most jockeys already. So it's nice with harness racing is you can, you know, they can still. Right. And they don't do even have to aspire to be a driver. I mean, they can right. be a trainer, they can be a caretaker, or there's, we all know there's a variety of careers that aren't even close. But if they don't, uh, the way I look at it is we're using harness racing and the horses as a vehicle to promote better citizens and mm-hmm. make kids happy whatever that is <laughs> and maybe get them into horses in some way you know they may end up riding they may end up driving carriages or right. whatever but yeah uh this is the kind of thing we fun. need to do we need to do this kind of stuff you know we had a we had a guy on the show here a little while ago he's in baltimore and he has an urban program and instead of the kids coming to the farm which is outside of baltimore he actually made a deal with the schools to bring the horses to the school so and it has become part of the curriculum at an inner city school that the kids do this horse it's one of the it's one of the classes they take is on horsemanship and he brings the horses to the school so and that's that's the only way some of this is going to happen right we got to we got to get them where they are um, i agree and hhyf is exploring those options for instance this summer or this fall rather we are doing two a third and a fourth grade field trip where all the kids in the community come out and and learn about maybe it's the first time they've even smelled a horse. I mean, that's the neat thing about this is you never know where the next great horse lover is going to come from. And you're right. The more that we can expose the masses to the joy of a horse, no matter what breed or discipline, the better off we all are. So, and we mm-hmm. have also done library programs, as, and we go to schools too if we're if it works out so that we have the horses in the right place at the right time. You have another something too that uh, you're offering this year that's new. So tell us about that. Those are activity boxes, and they that was the lemonade I referred to earlier. Is that in 2020 we didn't get to be on the road? So what do we do? How do we reach kids? Well, we developed. A lot of the games and activities that they play at camp, I just put them into a paper format and put them in a box and mailed activity boxes. And there's a set of four. Uh, They're not for everybody because some kids think of it as schoolwork, but I can just see. (laughs) And I... We all hate that. A few little girls. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But there's a few little girls who are going to pick up a crossword puzzle or a you know, math quiz or whatever it is that's related to horses, that that's what they like. And that's what we tried to tap into with the activity boxes. I'm very proud of their content because we're a grassroots organization. I would like to improve the the presentation of them a little. And we have done some from 2020 to 2021 version, but we still need to improve that. We know that. So, Ellen, what, where, where can people find out? First of all, what four states are you going to? We are going to Indiana, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Okay, and then I assume it's all the summer months? Correct. Well, it really, it's mostly, with the exception of the Kentucky one, it's all August. Oh, it's all August. Okay. So, because there's still some states that are very hesitant to give their yeah. regulations and rules, so we decided that we'd go later rather than earlier. But mm-hmm. all the information and the schedules and there's online registration form should be up and running here yet this week. So uh, www.hhyfharnesshorseyouthfoundation.org 
is where you can find all the information and to register and find out the exact locations. So it's hhyf.org. Correct. All right. Well, we'll put that in our show notes too, so everybody can find the link there. Thank you so much for joining us again, We and I'm glad you guys are back in business. Well, next up, we have the Executive Director of the American Driving Society, Abby, on with us. Hi, Abby. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. How are you, too? I heard rumors that you guys are doing a program uh, to help me out, but I don't even think I'm quite old enough for this one. I'm old, (laughs) but not that old yet. (laughs) You've got a few more years to go, I guess. (laughs) So we're really excited excited about this new uh, ADS Centennial Club that was created and is sponsored by Shelley Temple. It is a club that uh, our older members can join if their combined age of themselves and their equine equal or exceed 100. And all they have to do is uh, have that performance massage test at any show or club event in front of an ADS recognized judge. And then we send a really beautiful commemorative ribbon and plaque to be presented to them after their drive. Well, I... Fe- oh, you presented that at the show? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. I love that. It's really fun. It's really special. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a great way to celebrate our older members who have been driving for a really long time. Yeah. So this program uh, just launched. It's up on our website at americandrivingsociety.org under I am a member and then championship and award program. There's an application up there. So you just download the application. You can fill it out. It's a fillable PDF or you can print it and mail it. Just figured it out. If, if I and my pony both live another 20 years, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big if. <laughs> But you know what I love about it is because the the horses like that these people are showing that are going to qualify are old. And, you know, it was probably like the last couple of years they're in competition. And having a nice prize like that is so great. They can have pictures. I mean, it's a great way to remember your sweet old it horse. Is what, it is, Wendy. And I have to tell you, I'm so excited uh, we've just received our first application, and it's for Gwen Bassetti, who has sat on the ADS Board of Directors and just uh, stepped down last year. And she is going to drive at a club event in uh, Oregon mm-hmm. uh, next weekend, and she's going to be driving her 22-year-old homebred pony. Oh. Two years ago, she won the Can-Am Derby with out of 40 entries. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. It's going to be really special, and the, the news, uh, the TV news show is going to come and cover it, and yeah. it's going to be a great celebration. Oh, that's awesome. What a great program. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So please, everyone, go to our website, download an application, and send it in. Very good. And there was one other thing, too, right? There was. So yesterday we had our springboard meeting. Of course, it was held over Zoom. And during that, our membership committee pitched a uh, a new program that we're really excited about. And it's still sort of in the development stage, but it's for ADS member clubs. And if their roster is 50% or more ADS members, they can become an ADS Blue Ribbon Club. And we've got a whole list of you know, uh, benefits that the club will receive and they'll be listed, uh, more frequently 
they'll be um, uh, listed on our website. They'll be in all of our digital publications. So anyhow, that's called the ADS Blue Ribbon Club. Um, everyone can kind of keep their eyes out for it. It'll be coming in the next 30 days or so. Well, that's great. It's super. Very good. And of course, all of this can be found at AmericanDrivingSociety.org is the website. Thank you, Abby, for joining us. And of course, you know, we're getting into competition competition season pretty heavily here now. So you on the website, you can also find where all the competitions are going to be. And if there's one in your area, maybe you could go volunteer too. Uh, they're always needing volunteers. Oh, that'd be wonderful. The Horsemanship Radio Podcast is dedicated to the advancement of great horsemanship throughout the world. Monty Roberts often stops by to present on this podcast, hosted by his daughter and legacy strategist, Debbie Roberts-Lauks. The show includes segments, tips, and interviews exploring effective training centered on the well-being of the horse. This multiple award-winning podcast has 1.6 million downloads to date. Horsemanshipradio.com, sponsored by Hands-On Gloves and Monty Roberts University. So we have my good friend Garrett Kansad here from Ocala, Florida. He has a fabulous property right next to the Florida Horse Park. He can even drive to the Florida Horse Park and all along the Greenway. And um, he has taken on the monumental challenge of rebuilding the marathon course at the Florida Horse Park. So welcome, Garrett. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Now, this is uh, like a big job. I mean, we love the Florida Horse Park. And it has some pretty good hazards, but it kind of, you know, things get old, right? Yeah, lots, lots of them are uh, about 12 to 15 years old. And uh, they're having the old measurements, like two and a half meter inside in them. And mm-hmm. everything in Europe are three meters. So because they wanted to be more human for horses and right. don't break down in the hazards and everything. So that's why we are trying to redo everything. Well, it was built back in, you know... It had to survive me and Casey Zubek driving our foreign hands through there back when we were trying for WEG. So it's a little beat up from that for sure. <laughs> well, it hold up pretty good then. <laughs> <laughs> but Gare, um, now tell us a little bit about, uh, y- now you drove uh, foreign hand horses, right? You had some Frisians? Yeah, I had Arabo Frisians in uh, Colorado and uh I drove a foreigner. I have six Arab Frisians there. And yeah. I only compete on competition with them. And uh, I used to drive horses in, in Holland, in Norway, right. South Africa, Mexico, and Canada, and here in America. And now your wife, Roberta, is driving. What size are your ponies that she's driving? They are American Shetland ponies, and they are... Uh, 115 centimeter they're small ponies yeah so i think that that makes you really qualified to put together a great course because you know what a hazard needs to be challenging for all different size animals well i did uh, a couple of years ago uh, a friend of me challenged me to go to the championship for a prelim and i had competed one time in kentucky so my wife signed up and phil porter and we all had to get three shows under the belt before we could go to the championship. And we did that in one year, and we did it all with small ponies. <laughs> I go up there. <laughs> oh, that's great. And now yeah. um, the Florida Horse Park is kind of unique in that um, 
the it's it's owned by the state of Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's a five hundred acre so, property, mm-hmm. and it's a public and, public property. Anybody can go. You don't have to be a member. It's open to the public. It's open to the public, but uh, you have to pay like. Uh, if you're going to use the obstacles, you're supposed to pay uh, $25 if you're signing or going into using them. And mm-hmm. uh, same for renters, they're paying $50 for uh, using the jumps. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there is some maintenance with everything. And, uh, and with all of us, you can come in, I understand, and uh, you can ride and drive everywhere, you know, as long as right. you don't use the nice dressage fields and everything. But uh, right. They are pretty flexible on it too, you know. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's just when you start tearing up and breaking down things, you know. They right. Want Je- it down, so. Jennifer, my wife and I go over all the time, and I bring the carriage along with my pony, and she rides. And you know, if you just ride around the edge of the horse park, I mean, you don't even have to go in the middle where all the jumps and obstacles are. Uh, you ride around the edge of the horse park, and then you can get into the greenway. You can ride forever out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a we have a five and a half smooth uh, miles to loop around the park that we're using a lot, and otherwise, if you you can go further out, it's like thirty nine miles or even more, you know. But some places are a little bit sandy, but there is also like three four miles inside the Florida Horse Park that are really nice that I drove on today. You know, you can see on my Facebook page, and it's uh, fantastic. It is nice. nice and, yeah. And there's always something going on there. So, you know, it's good for the horses to be desensitized a bit, too, because there's always a horse show or something going on, or, you know, and they have all kinds of other events there. And, <laughs> Wendy, I don't know if you've been there since they built the new barns, but. Oh, yeah. yeah they have all the barns. I was barns. there with Gare. Yeah. Gare gave me the tour of the yeah. new barns. It's They're really beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Now, Gare, how did you get um, involved in remodeling the the hazards, and and what's your vision for how this project is going to work? Well, I I started up in uh, it's almost a year ago now, and uh, I was went over there and I could see event jumps flying out, you know, all over the field, you know, and I thought, mm-hmm. I have seen it happen before, you know, in Kentucky Horse Park up right. in Colorado, event people taking over, you know, so I yeah. thought, well, we better more involved here as drivers, you know, and clubs and everything. So I spoke to Jason and uh, and we started talking about fixing up the obstacles. And uh, then later Mary came into the to the board chair was a chairman chairwoman of the board for the for the horse park. Mm-hmm. So then they put a committee and uh, and then we all have to sort of work from the committee so everything sort of uh, go right and not one man has one opinion, um, but uh, basically it turns out the way my dream was, I like to make it like a clover leaf. So mm-hmm. everyone up in the middle and with, with moving some obstacles, it gets everything more on the three line as you remember and the new water yeah. obstacle on the opposite side and one more obstacle further down. And then it's a very, very easy access for people to run up from the barn walk the obstacles, uh, watch other friends drive and run back and get yourself ready. And it's a lot more friendly for public and for everyone, you know, instead of you have yeah. to run all the corner of the park. 
Yeah, because sometimes you can't, uh, you know, if, if it's in a straight line, sometimes people think, oh, that's good. They're all in a line. I can just walk down there. But you'd have to go back and forth. And then maybe somebody would, spectators would just have to pick one obstacle. But this way, they can kind of see everything going on from one location. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's like one cloverleaf. So you can see, you can actually see three, four obstacles from one spot. And when we are done with everything is done and moved and everything, and we get enough money, because it costs money. And uh, and uh, then it will be very very nice for public and everyone for uh, running up it, and you get lost traffic with a golf cart all over the park and mm-hmm. people are put in one place. Yeah, and so how can people? Um, do you need volunteers to help you? Well, I had uh, when we had the paint days, I put it out on Facebook, and we had mm-hmm. ten fifteen people showing up. Some people from the Florida mm-hmm. Vips and. A lot of people from just are down here for the winter showed up. And yeah. uh, we painted like two obstacles in two hours. And uh, Oh, wow. That's fast. We, so we did two of those. And I just had to set it up and have paint and buckets and everything ready, you know. So there is, there is a little bit behind it, too, to get it uh, going nice, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But uh, it turns out good. And uh, so now we have a half obstacle that we're going to re Add, add on uh, about 16 more poles to, and mm-hmm. uh, I have a fans guy coming here in about one and a half week to help me put them in. They are 12 inch posts, so they are very heavy. So I can't. Oh my, my god, job. that's huge! Yeah. No, yeah. you can't do that so, yourself. Uh, <laughs> no, and uh, <laughs> so uh, we're getting those in, and then notch the boards in there, and we have the boards and everything, and we have the stain. So then we are going to stain and finish those, and. Uh, then we have, basically, we have four obstacles that are redone, but we still need three more, you know, to make it mm-hmm. the top venue in uh, America. So um, how can people track your progress? From your Facebook page? Facebook page, and uh, most of all, you know, I like, there are so many people out there driving, you know, and lots of people are using the park for riding or driving or pleasure or if everyone just gave 50 bucks or 100 bucks you know one time mm-hmm. you know yeah 20 people did that you know we had 22,000 dollars right and, right and we could easily reach our goal you know for 20,000 dollar more you know right but, but uh, it's been hard but i've been lucky you know because i have so many friends all over you know america that have been very supportive and uh, Mr. Wrigley was one of the first ones that came in with quite a lot of money to help mm-hmm. us. And Freeze and Focus have been very nice. That's super. That's super. Yeah. That, that's why there's so much orange on the course. <laughs> no, 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 no. Misty like green, you know? <laughs> that's true. So, okay, so, Gare. So now that oh, one obstacle is green. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gare, um, so your Facebook... You can go to your Facebook and your, you spell your name G-E-I-R-K-A-N-S-T-A-D. You're yeah, Norwegian, right? Are you Norwegian? Yeah, Nor- yeah I'm Norwegian, yeah. yeah. I've been uh, here uh, 15 years now. You have to come back and tell us about all your travels because you have these great stories about all your travels all over the world, but we don't have enough time to cover that. So you have to come back soon and um, give yeah. us an update on the park and tell us all about your world travels. Yeah, I will do that, you know. And uh, so 
please let everyone out there hear, you know, that we sometimes we need help to come up, clean up branches, clean uh, inner trails and uh, help staining. And uh, I know that Florida horse uh, whips, I just uh, contact uh, Bob there, you know, and uh, he will put it in the, on their website, you know. All right. Well, and thanks we so help. much. Thanks, Gear. Okay, thank you. Well, it's now time for our traditional Chinese veterinary medicine segment with Dr. Wendy Ying. It's springtime, right? So what do we have to deal with? We have to deal with spring- allergies. <laughs> Me sneezing. That's what Are you having with. yeah, the pollen in Ocala is pretty bad. In, te- in Chinese medicine, we think of allergies as wind heat, okay? So the wind is the pathogen that brings the allergens to you, and the heat is the inflammation that your body then uh, re- reacts to the allergies, right? And so you're allergic to, to lots of different things, right? But why is spring so bad? And it's something that we call allergy threshold, Right. So you may be allergic to bugs and you may be allergic to pollen and you may be allergic to dust. But individually, if you're just exposed to one of those at a time, it's like not so bad. But when you have all of those at once, then it pushes you past your allergy threshold and your body can't um, your body can't fight off the reaction. And that's how you get allergies in our horses. um, one of the most common allergies we see uh, topically, because we're talking about topical, uh, the topical issues today, is we see sweet itch, which is an allergy to the biting flies, or we see summer sores, which are non-healing wounds that are infected with the habronema. Disgusting therapy. non-healing. I know you. I'm not going to get into those. I got. There's another show where we talk all about all those itchy things, but. Um, and then like for farm dogs, right? You sometimes you see these farm dogs and their skin is so bad and the people are doing everything they can, but they're in this horrible itch scratch cycle, right? Cause they're allergic to fleas. They're allergic to food allergies, pollen, you know, stress. Um, so when we treat allergies, we need to think of the first thing we need to do is break the itch scratch cycle, right? We need to stop. We need to reduce exposure to whatever is causing the allergen, which is sometimes impossible. I mean, we live in Florida, right, Glenn? How are you going to stop bugs from biting your horse? Big bugs from biting your horse. <laughs> so all kinds the, of bugs from biting your horse. With the bugs that, with the bugs that um, that cause sweet itch, the little gnats. Uh, they usually bite more in the dawn and dusk and you usually find them along like flowing water. So some of the things you can do is keep your horses in behind the fan during dawn and dusk, use a lot of fly spray and then use things like, um, I've talked about this before, BT, it's like mosquito dunks, you know, those little mosquito dunks you can throw in the water. Mm-hmm. Those things can reduce not only mosquitoes, but they also get rid of, um, the, the, the little gnats. And then you can also, to break the itch scratch cycle, we need to 
soothe the skin because sometimes they're so itchy that they rub themselves raw, which we call self-mutilation, right? They itch and itch and itch until they bleed. And then they get a secondary bacterial infection from the open sores that because they're itching so badly. So to help that, we could use a topical product like I talked about in the product feature, the golden yellow salve. And what the golden yellow salve does is it helps soothe the skin and it helps with the itch and it helps reduce the bacterial infection because it has a lot of antibiotic properties. But it's also in this beeswax and coconut base, so it's really thick. I kind of think of it as herbal swat. Right. So like uh, one of my horses gets really bad um, bites on the inside of her ears and she refuses to keep her fly mask on. I've tried so many times. I don't I can't tell you how many different fly masks I've had. I've even vet wrapped it to her head. She still gets it off. I can picture that. She looked like this homeless pony. I did. I vet wrapped it to her head and she got it off within a couple hours. So um what I do is I take this golden yellow and I spread it on the inside of her ears. And so that um, it makes a physical barrier. So the little gnats get stuck in there or they can't get through, hmm. you know, um, it also for your dogs, if you have a dog that has like, you know, hot spots or what we call the lick granuloma where they're constantly licking their foot or their leg. Um, you can use this golden yellow salve because it is really bitter tasting. Oh. And so you have to kind of, when you, when you scratch an itch, it tells your brain like, oh, that feels good. Right. So you kind of get addicted to scratching. So you have to break that, that cycle. So for the puppies, you put something bitter on there and they lick it. And then, it, you know, it's like a punishment. So they kind of, uh, resetting their, their brain. So they're not keep itching. Um, so that's what we should do for our allergies in spring. Try to reduce your um, exposure. Try to soothe the skin. You want to break the itch scratch cycle. And uh, you can use a topical product like the golden yellow. Where do they get the golden yellow? They can get it at drwendyying.com. Well, we're at about the end of the show here. I wanted to remind everybody that tomorrow on the show, we're going to be giving away our prize for really bad ads, so you're going to want to tune in then. It's an auditor box of crap. Yes, the auditors got together and put their own box of crap together, so I have no <laughs> idea what you're going to win, but uh, it should. my boxes of crap are usually pretty good, so who knows what's going to be in the auditor box of crap. And then we're also going to be announcing next month's prizes for really bad ads, and horse lovers came through with almost $500 in prizes. So, Wow. It, Pays the, I think we give away more prizes on this show over the last 10 years than any other podcast has given away. <laughs> I think so, too. I think I, it, I mean, we give away great prizes. I think with Radiothons, I figured it out, and we've given away almost $70,000 in prizes over the years. Are you kidding no, me? No, it's a lot. <laughs> so, wow, so you're lucky because you're listening to this show. And uh, Dr. Wendy Ying, of course, can be found at drwendyying.com, as we just said. And are you out? Are you doing any driving anymore? Do you drive anymore? I drive around my neighborhood. Do you? That's yeah. about it. Still out there? We got to get down there soon. I know. It's so fun down here. We have to bring our camper down and park in your yard. Yeah. Or, we'll no, well, let's boat. bring the horses down. We'll leave the camper at home. You have, We can stay in your <laughs> wing and we'll just bring the horses down. That's even better. Okay. You can do that. You can do that. That didn't go too bad last time. They didn't carry on too much. Uh, 
They well, were, maybe maybe you can stay across the street. We'll rent the barn for you across the street in the mansion. Uh, Wendy posted this <laughs> the other day. Uh, there was a place across the street. It was abandoned for a while, wasn't it, from your house? Well, yeah, they were in like they got caught up in the mortgage scandal, the mortgage whatever thing, you know. And so for ten years they were fighting with the bank. And it was about. pretty much looked abandoned. It was not a good-looking place. Yeah. No. It, it, we called it a zombie house. Yeah. And now they fix it up. You sent you sent the ad for listing it. Oh, my yeah. God. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> now, if you it's have, what, gorgeous. a million I need and a half? Neighbor. It's a nice neighborhood, if anybody's interested. Yeah, Wendy my, lives my across the street. Little, yeah, my geese are a little loud. Yeah, and you have a built-in vet, though. She's right across the street. So That's right. Uh, so where? Uh, what did they want? A million and a half for that place? 2.7. Oh, my God. And you know what? In today's market, they'll get three. <laughs> it's like, well, there's another house for sale in my neighborhood for three. But you know why? Uh, the prices have skyrocketed because everybody's moving down to Florida. Well, and in Ocala, it's ridiculous because of the World Equestrian yeah. Center. It's just ridiculous here. Yeah. The prices have gone through the roof. Uh, yeah. You know, rents right now are in the 10000 a month range. For if, are you for kidding a farm. me? No. <laughs> No, it's crazy. It's crazy money right now. See, for that, you could buy this mansion across the street from me. <laughs> there you go. Your property value just went up, Wendy, because the neighbor's house got nicer. <laughs> I know. ching <laughs> You can, of course, find all of our past episodes for The Driving Show at drivingradioshow.com. You can find all the past episodes there. You can also find uh, Horses in the Morning at horsesinthemorning.com. And we have a bunch of shows. You can find them all on our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. We have 20 different shows that we do. I do a show uh, called Stable Scoop, which is a roundtable show that's turning out to be quite popular, actually. And I do that twice a month where we do it live on Facebook, uh, video, as well as audio. And we have a different panel of experts that think of uh, think of your local or your national news with the panel of experts, only without the fighting. Um, and that's what we do. And talking about horses. Talking about horse stuff. That's right. And like last time, we did a panel of authors from the horse world, and they talked about how to get started writing your first book. Oh, so fun. How we, did I miss that? We try and mix it up each time, so it's a little bit different. And uh, next next one that we're doing is going to be all listeners, and they're going to be talking about things they're interested in. So I really do try and mix up the panels, and it's very fun. It's a fun show to do, and I really like it. So that's at StableScoop.com. You can find that. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Glenn. And remember, keep the shiny side up.